Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, March 25th, 2021. So what do we know so far? says the detective as he strolls up to the crime scene. At least that's the way it happens in almost every television show about law enforcement. But I guess that makes sense, starting with what you do know. In the Christian life, there's inevitably going to be mystery. Because after all, we worship a perfect and eternal God. If we could know everything about him, then I'm not sure he would be much of a God at all. But what do we know? Fortunately, we've been given the Bible. God has revealed to us what he wanted us to know giving us information about him and also instruction on how we should live. Although it can be exciting to dabble into the unknown and speculate what God meant when he wasn't specific, it's good stewardship of our time to first focus on what he did tell us clearly. Don't get me wrong, we should be students of the Word of God, working hard to determine what God is communicating to us through this holy book. But if that exercise causes us to forgo what he was crystal clear about, then we are missing the point. So, what do we know so far? Starting in our Gospels reading today, let's dive into Matthew 24, 29-35. Starting in verse 29, we read, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It's hard to know for sure if this is speaking of literal events or figurative events. There seems to be evidence of either being a possibility. But one thing is for sure, the coming of Christ is kicked off with some big events with high impact. Then continuing on in verse 30, it says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This mourning could be a sadness due to judgment or possibly a sorrow that leads to repentance. Either way, Christ's presence will produce both because his glory always magnifies our sin and how much we fall short of him. Jesus continues by saying in verse 32, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There are a few different thoughts concerning Christ's words when he says this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Some would say that this generation is referring to the disciples, and this verse is speaking to the beginning of the events previously described. Others might say that it's the generation of believers from then through this present age. Others refer to this generation as this evil generation that will remain until Christ returns. And others consider him to be speaking about the nation of Israel or Jewish people that won't pass away until Christ returns. And still, others believe this generation to mean the generation alive when the great tribulation begins. Either way, I think it's telling that Jesus then says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. At the end of the day, Jesus' authority and teaching is even more permanent than heaven and earth. Jesus refocuses us back again to what's most important, him. When Christ does return, none of us will be arguing about who was right and who was wrong because all eyes will be on Christ. And perhaps there's a reason that not everything surrounding the end times is crystal clear. Maybe more of our focus should be on Christ and what he has made clear. 
Yes, we must pay attention and be ready for his return, regardless of the timing or method. But as we do prepare, let's consider a short list of priorities. First, repent. Get on the ark. You know, we're going to be seeing the reference to Noah's ark here coming up in future passages. We need to basically put our trust in Jesus Christ to be saved from the wrath of God. Second, gather the harvest, warn others of his coming. Then be caught doing his will. When he does come, let's be caught doing what he has told us to do and to focus on. And always prepare spiritually first and foremost. The only thing eternal in your home are the souls that live there. Prepare first your walk with Christ and then prepare your family's response to Christ. Do you daily lead your children to a place of repentance through fulfilling Deuteronomy 6-7, putting the Bible before them from the time they wake up to the time that they go to sleep? Do you see biblical correction as preparation to tenderize their hearts to repent from their sinful ways and trust Christ? And then I'd say prepare your church. Are you truly, truly building up the bride of Christ? How will Christ find you treating her upon his return? And these questions will inevitably lead us to mourn the weight of our sin. That's part of it, especially as we consider the perfect holiness of Christ. And today, as we start a new psalm in Psalm 38, 1-8, we're reminded of the reality of our sin. Starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. A good reminder here that the weight of God's holiness is only devastating because of the weight of our sin. The weight of God's holiness is actually reassuring when we are in Christ and protected from God's wrath. In verse 5, it says, My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Do we understand the offense of our sin to those around us? And then in verse 6, it continues, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Praise God that we don't have to stay forever in verses like this. Although we should always feel the weight of our sin, this weight should cause us to repent. And like I said before, when we repent and put our trust in Christ, the weight of our sin is taken up by Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So perhaps today you are struggling with guilt and shame over your sin. And that might not be a bad thing, but what we do know about guilt is it has a purpose. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If you're dealing with grief over your sin, then repent. And once you repent, that grief no longer serves its purpose. I tell my kids it's kind of like a wet wipe. Once you've used it, throw it away. It has no purpose anymore. Same thing goes for godly grief. If it leads you to repentance, your use of that grief is over with. Live in the freedom that Christ offers. He has freed you from the bondage of sin now and for eternity. Now let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at Deuteronomy 1 and 2. We start today in the book of Deuteronomy, a new book in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy means second law, and it's going to be retelling the events of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers along with teachings from Moses. And a common theme is that Uh, We see Moses reminding the Israelites to keep 
the law. Now, since a lot of what we're reading, especially today, is a review of what we read over the past several months, I want to focus on a few specific points today. First, God says to take on the Amorites uh, to inherit their land. He tells the Israelites to go do this. Now, the Israelites, they want to scope out the scene first. We remember that from before. And after they do, they don't want to go fight them out of fear. They're these big people. They're scary. And they don't want to go do it, even though God has said to go do it. That's except for Joshua and Caleb, that is. They 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 believe the Lord. They trust the Lord that he will take care of them and win the battle. And then God becomes angry with the Israelites over their fear of man, not of God. And then out of their guilt, though, they choose to go and try to fight the Amorites on their own, even when God said to stop and not do it. Again, I want to pause here and just Thank the Lord for what he has told us to do and what not to do. What if he didn't? What if every day was a complete mystery and like a rat in a cage, we got shocked if we touched the wrong button? But what does that ultimately mean for us? Yes, the Israelites are reminded to keep the law, often for Moses, but what about us? Well, we might not have Moses, but we have a Bible. Well, what do we know so far? Well, we know a lot of what God expects of us, and we must keep the law just as Moses reminded the Israelites. I think we're often tempted to take matters into our own hands because we assume that God meant what he didn't say. Remember, we are children of God, and as a good father, he is protecting us just as much by what he isn't telling us to the same degree that he is telling us. So, where is God calling you to obedience today? It might not be exciting or even make sense right now, but where is he asking you to trust him? Speaking of trusting God, We're going to see Paul jump into action on behalf of his crew on this ship in our New Testament reading in Acts today. We're in Acts 27, 13 through 26. Here we see Paul's ship starting to have some real issues with the weather. It gets to the point where they have to start throwing things overboard. Starting in verse 19, it says, And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Many times God brings us to a place where we have no hope in our own devices or strength. When we are at our end, then our hearts are at a place where we're willing to call out for God's help and he gets the glory. So Paul steps up and he says this, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. Where there was previously no hope, Paul points these men to God to find their hope. I took much encouragement today from verse 25 in particular. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. It made me ask the question, who are the people that I can say this to today? What areas in my life can I say this about? So often we get caught up in the physical difficulties of everyday life. We get caught up especially in those things we can't predict. Instead, we need to focus on the promises that we do know are guaranteed, A, because we can take those to the bank if God has promised them, and B, it puts the focus back onto God and off of us. Paul could have easily not shared the details of God's encounter with him that night. He could have tried to make it about himself and make himself the hero, but he didn't. He pointed these men to the Lord. 
And I was thinking, what are the promises that would lead me to confidently say to others, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. I thought about three verses. First, John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand and I and the father are one. And then secondly, in Matthew 6, 31 through 33 says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Obviously, there's a lot longer list of God's promises than these three verses. But perhaps, just for today, you can say to those in your life, Take heart. For I have faith that God will keep me as a child until the end, provide for my needs, and provide me the wisdom to navigate this life. What do we know so far? Fortunately, a lot. And also fortunately, not everything. In God's grace, he chose to give us a glimpse of his glory, a portion of his wisdom, a taste of his eternal nature. I know that a part of us wants more, but we couldn't handle it. Perhaps today we can focus on what he has revealed to us and dig in. What does obedience look like today based on what God has revealed to us? That's the question we should be asking until we meet Jesus face to face. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. I will be filling in for Ben Blakey until he's back on Monday, March 29th. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.